There's a big myth out there that says you need financial capital to start your next venture. While our next guest, Care Allen, tells us that there is another capital out there that can be the difference between you starting or you never getting going at all. Enjoy. This business podcast, The Two Business Guys Mastermind, uncovers for you secrets and share tips and tricks to entrepreneurship as they mastermind on how to have startup, operational, and overall business success so that you can go on to get better results. Enjoy. So, hey, everybody, you know, this is Randy. I am back. We are back with the Two Business Guys Mastermind, and we have a gift for you today. Rob is on vacation, and he's taking uh, his birthday off, and you guys know what we like to do, right? We like to give you the tips, tricks, and templates to help you do a good book of business, and we like to do it in real time, right? I don't do years out and all that kind of stuff because we might miss something that just comes up that you say, you know what? We need to mastermind on that. So you're getting it pretty fresh. Today's guest, our guest host, you're going to love her. We already do, right? She's done a really good book of business here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And now she's going throughout the world. I'll let her tell the story. I could do your bio, but you know what? Why don't you tell us? Uh, so I am Care Allen, and I am a serial entrepreneur. I own Faye Nicole, which is an online shoe store that caters to women in non-standard sizes. So I carry sizes 7 through 13. Um, that is another reason that I'm doing this video in my warehouse. I wanted the realities of an entrepreneur. Everything in the background is not always pretty. I am sitting in a room full of shoes um, <laughs> doing this because that is my life. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. But I am definitely uh, in my business. I also own the Crew Cosmetics, which is uh, Crew actually stands for cultivating relationships that empower women. And I also do business coaching and business mentoring, which are two different things. Um, but I operate in both capacities for women entrepreneurs in the startup and repivoting phases. Uh, so one thing that you will know about me is a lot, almost all, well, basically all of my businesses, all of the things that I do are uh, really catered to and um, fall into the realm of working with and serving women in some capacity. So that is me in kind of a nutshell. And that's a great thing. Like, you know, I like to keep the stuff that I'm going to be doing just like you are in your warehouse right now. Hey, I put up on the board what I'm going to be doing so I can turn around and know exactly where I'm at, right? A little old school, but let me tell you, it works. I use all of the new technologies too, but I have found nothing works better than being able to look around and says, oh yeah, that's next. Scratch it off. Oh, that's yeah. next. Oh, that's next month. So I like to have it real. So thank you for that. Now, when I was reading your bio, even though I knew a little bit about you, we've done some work together um, in, in some teaching capacities, is I noticed that what sparked the fire in you to start your true, the, the formerly known as true to size shoes was something that came from a personal space, right? You started it because you were overcoming some weight gain uh, and you were over covering some, overcoming some things and you noticed that you're feet got bigger, right? And then you says, well, I need to solve my own problem first. Tell us a little bit about um, the, the wanting to solve your own problem and how that really just motivated you and how it keeps you motivated even today. 
Um, so it actually started in uh, 2010, back when I was in college. Um, I had gained some weight, and honestly, it was from stress and depression. College was just overwhelming for me. And I realized, like, I had gained 90 pounds. I looked up one day, and I was like, whoa, what happened? Um, and it wasn't even the weight that bugged me the most. It was everything that came along with it, the emotions, the not being able to fit your clothes. Like, so it was added layers of stress. Um, and I was kind of a diva. I kind of considered myself a diva, love fashion, all of that. Um, I remember walking into a shoe store one day because I needed new shoes because I couldn't fit any of my shoes. I had actually jumped from a nine and a half to a size 11. And back then, you know, in 2000, women, people didn't talk about wearing a size 11. That was like kind of foreign. Um, and I asked the, the lady that was helping if she carried my size and she said no. Mm. And she was like, but you can try Payless. And I just remember feeling so out of place, feeling so undervalued. Nothing was wrong with Payless in particular, but like, I really like love certain styles. Like I, you know, I would spend money on clothes and shoes. That was my thing. And I, I really felt overlooked um, kind of in that moment. And that's when I was like, okay, so clearly shoes for me don't exist like this is not going to be a thing uh, and I somehow I don't even know how it all came out but I started to tell other women that like I started to just share my story and my frustrations and I met so many women just like me not athletes necessarily who had large feet for so many reasons I found out that women's feet grew from pregnancy I didn't know that I, I've never been pregnant women's feet grow from injury some women have one larger foot than the other because of some type of injury they had from playing a sport or dancing um, or you know as a child oftentimes girls are uh we're squoles into little shoes for years and years and years. And some of that stuff catches up with you later in life. So I just ended up learning so much. And I learned that there were so many women out there, so many of us um, who wore above a size nine, which nine is kind of like the standard, um, you know, it's not hard to find sizes seven through nine, mm -hmm. essentially. So once I found that out, I said, I'm gonna have to run with it. And it was actually years before I did anything with it. So that journey started in 2010. I didn't open my business till 2018. So, you know, it was a, a lot of things came from that. I mean, one, I didn't even know if I wanted it to be a business. I just knew that the market was there. So also stress and depression is real. So just no, dealing yeah. with, I had to deal with the, the reality of my life, um, graduating college, all of those things moving out, like so many things happened. And then in 2018, I found a program in Grand Rapids called Spring GR. One of my friends encouraged me to apply to the program. And that's when I was like, okay, now or never. This is my time to do it. And I started, the brand is called Faye Nicole Now. It's named after me and my late mom. My mom just passed away in June. Mm -hmm. But um, it was originally called True to Size Shoes. That's, in, you know, I, when I was going in doing the research, I also saw one quote that stopped me dead in my tracks. And it said, we too deserve to have attractive and exclusive footwear. Mm -hmm. Being forced into men's shoes, shoes that are too or too small, or that are downright unattractive is unacceptable. Period. Right. And, and if you hear, if entrepreneurs, if you're listening to how the why behind she's behind why she started, right. And then knowing that there were a customer was out there first trying to solve your own problem. And then the idea that, you know what, there is a customer out there because people are telling me, you know, I'm having that problem too. And then having that fire that says, you know what? Being put in men's shoes and shoes that are unacceptable, being told to go to pay, loss, pay less, which is not going to have maybe, you know, what at the time didn't have anything super fancy, 
-hmm. That's unacceptable. So sometimes it is that kind of anger or that kind of feeling of that's unacceptable that is enough to get you emotionally started. But care, you know, tell me a little bit about this. When you started, and this kind of gets us into our topic today, is that, you know, this myth that financial capital or the way that you can finance your company is this, there's a myth out there that there's only one way to do it. Now we're going to be going off a subset, but when you were starting, how did you, how did you find the means by which to start your company and then see how that segues us into our specific topic? Um, So one, I was teachable. And I think that's so important. I knew that I had a problem to solve, but I did not know how to run a business. I would say I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I sold treats and snacks in school when, you know, when I was younger, Um, going to college, I did hair in college. Like I know what it's like to to want to earn money or to solve a problem for a person, Um, but to do it in a, in a way that was going to be on a large enough scale that I wanted to be on to be able to actually be profitable um, and sustain an income as well as, I mean, even just sustain a brand because, you know, it takes a while. A lot of people think they're brand coming out the gate and just because you have a logo doesn't make you a brand, but you know, all of <laughs> that's a subject for another day. But um, I knew that like, I wanted it to be something I want I wanted my shoes to be on celebrities feet like Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. I want folks to know that that this exists um so I think the the thing for me when I first got started was one being teachable I joined a program so my first investment in myself was time it wasn't, I mean, it did, it was like a hundred dollars when I signed up for the program, which that's chump change in the entrepreneurial world, you know, or in regular life, you know, you break a hundred dollar bill, it's gone. Um, so that's the way I looked at it. I joined the 12 week, it was 12 weeks, a 12 week program, a hundred dollars. And I got a business coach for two years. Like, I mean, it was the amount of value. I probably would still be paying for it in regular, um, yeah, we had, um, well, put that into college. Right, into, right. Or return on investment. I'd still be paying for that. Um, but so that was my first thing. And then really, really understanding the power of social capital. So uh-huh. I wanted to not only talk to customers, because that was the biggest thing is I was like, I know that these women exist. I was like, but we've been coping for so long. How do we go from coping to understanding that our desire exists and it's okay um, to to have our desire? Um, So I wanted to do tons of research on my audience because I was like, yeah, we want to wear heels. We don't want to wear combat boots all the time or men's shoes. The other thing is men's shoes are cut different than ladies' shoes. A lot of people don't know that until you start designing. So not only are we being pushed into men's shoes, um, it's a different comfort level. Mm. Um, Oftentimes they were at either it's super athleisure or it's like a, a leather, like a hard mm-hmm. leather. Um, and hard leathers don't usually go with lace and tulle, feminine type clothing that, you know, we were wearing at that time um, when I first started this. So I just, I felt like I ran into so many issues when I thought about the fact that we were going, we, we often had to buy men's shoes. Um, and that opened up so many things. So then from there, from not only wanting to talk to my customer, I wanted to talk to the movers and shakers in the 
business world, at least where I was living. So in Grand Rapids, I started to rub elbows and talk to people. I made use of my business coach that was a part of that program, the program I was a part of. Um, I used the score office, like any, when every resource that somebody told me was free or under a hundred dollars, I'd used it. The score <laughs> office, the SBDC. Um, I even went to Muskegon. There was a, um, a women's program in Muskegon, um, Kalamazoo, I joined the uh, Sisters in Business. They had a pitch competition and um, a pop-up shop for women. Like I was anything that could bring me in front of folks who could either become a part of my target market or bring awareness and knowledge that this problem exists because they would help my brand eventually. I knew that kind of coming out the gate. That's how I started. Um, and I honestly think that that really helped me because I did actually fund my business with a grant and it was only $3,000. I got $3,000 from pitching my business, but it was after I did all that research after, you know, folks really knew about me and I got my money back on launch day. I launched in person and I made over four grand that very first day. So the grant that I used to start my business actually profited me um, in a sense. I mean, if we're just talking equal numbers, but I ended up making a profit my very first day out the gate, which is rare for yeah, a bit. Most businesses start in the red and you're usually in the red for at least a year. Right. And I love the fact that, you know, when we talk about social capital, now this is the type of capital that doesn't show up on your balance sheet, right? It's not equity capital, it's not debt capital. And, you know, but it's the kind of capital that because you've expanded who you know, you've expanded on the fact that they may know someone and then they may put you in position mm -hmm. to get a grant to start the business, put you in position to, you know, have to you know, find out where other opportunities lie. Now, that's what was really exciting to me when I said, hey, what, what do you, what do you want us to really mastermind on? He says, you know, the myth that financial capital is the first thing that you need. And when we started thinking about that and I started kind of mulling it over, I says, you know what? Social capital is underrated. And you just said it, the power of social capital. So entrepreneurs, if you're listening out there, think about this. Masterminders, I want you to hear this, that sometime it is in who you know and who knows you. You've heard that before, right? But also how you then leverage that. So what you know so-and-so that may know so-and-so, but did you make a phone call to them, right? I know one of our colleagues, Atal Bande, likes to say, hey, don't just call me up out of the blue. Stay in touch with me, right? And then something may jog their memory, say, oh, I know somebody that has this business, right? That then can put you in position. I know somebody that could use that grant. Well, let's put them at the top of the list, right? Mm -hmm. So expand on that a little bit. Talking about the power of social capital. Um. I like to call it, you know, the, the break even until you break through, right? <laughs> when you were, when you first had that, that, that breakthrough moment, when you says, wait a minute, I made a profit here. How did that excite you? And how were you able to look back on that and go, this social capital stuff is real. So I think for me, one, I told you, I did an in-person launch. First of all, 300 people showed up to my launch, men and women at that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, I did it at an, it, at the time it was a new space in Grand Rapids. So it was booming, it was popular, but I mean, fo- there was so much buzz around this shoe store that was going to be opening. And even though everybody knew it was going to be an online shoe store, this was like their time. This was your moment. And that's mm-hmm. how I promoted it. This is your moment to join this brand or this, this business upfront to see, touch, feel, be a part of it. And actually it just popped up in my memories. It's this coming weekend, three years ago. So we're about four days away from three years ago, I was planning to do this. So I was just like, this is so crazy that we are at anniversary time. Um, but it was so, it wasn't even the sales, I think. For me, it was, oh my goodness, the work that I did has people listening. It has, and I'm a, I'm very people oriented. My second top strength is um, lover. And my first one is leader, so uh, which both go with people. Um, so I recognize that I find a lot of value in others, pouring into others and vice versa, all of that, um, supporting others, all of those things. So I found a lot of validation in my business just from the fact that people showed up. Now, the benefit, of course, was that people also spend money because there is a correlation, people showing up to an event that... It's just come look. Spend money is gonna, you know, that they go hand in hand. But that was huge for me. I mean, even the call I had for models didn't have a problem. I I had too many models. I had I had some folks that I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make sure that you do my next show with me or whatever. Like it was just like the the social capital made it easy. Um, and then I mean it was very different once I moved to online. Like that that was a different type of thing because everybody knew me for shoes in person. Everybody knew they could come to me to talk about shoes and you know, large feet, all of that. But then when I wanted to get outside of the Grand Rapids market, that social capital looked very different. You know, it wasn't, I couldn't just go to an event, pass out my business cards or, you know, go to an event and see somebody I know. And then they're introducing me to somebody. I'm talking to them for a little bit and they're introducing me to somebody else. Um, Cause I thrive in those spaces. I'm very good at, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I think, I think that was back to your original question. My aha moment was when I walked out and saw all those people out there supporting me, excited about this launch. Um, And then, you know, that turned into dollar signs, which was amazing. Right. Don't just come. Right. Just come to look. Get some coin when you're done. It sounds like you extended, you know, your, your, uh, your ability to do the social capital thing out I suspected that some research is going to be involved in that, right? And that kind of brings us to our, our next topic is, you know, tell us a little bit about how customer research and the social capital space, right, or play can then be the financial capital you need, right? First, it was like the myth that only need you only need money to start. I need money to make money, right? Maybe you need somebody with money. That's your social capital. So what kind of research did you do, even if it were going toward that launch that brought you people in that then became your financial capital? So I would have to say, how do I say? In my, I'm a firm believer. You can sell anyone anything without even having it. Um, it's about presentation. It's about mm. confidence. It's about speaking to a desire, a need, or a story. And I and I mean this with integrity. Now, I'm not saying go out there. There are there are definitely schemes out there, but being integral goes a long way. So for me, 
I was just sharing my story with people. And that resonated so heavily, in particular with young women. Weight gain is real. Mm. You leave high school and then you be like, who is this? There was like, it was not, it was, no woman that I ran into was like, <laughs> I don't understand that at all. Even if they hadn't gained weight, they knew someone who had, they experienced it. Like it was such a normal thing that none of us talked about. Um, so I think for me, it was being able to tell my story and having that resonate with people that became my selling point, even though it wasn't necessarily a selling point. Originally, I was just getting data because I was like, am I the only person who really don't like wearing combat boots? Like, I cannot be the only <laughs> woman out here that's sick of this. Like, and so, so really, I kind of went on this personal journey of like, where's my crew of people? Like that was yeah. it. I was like, it gotta be more of us out here who like, this is enough. We need our signs. Let's say this is enough. Um, but also I recognize too, that when you build a story or tell a story as you're building a business and you're being authentic and you're mm-hmm. really, you're really truly trying to reach your target audience, you can pre-sell stuff. My first shoe aside, so I did have my in-person launch, but my first shoe that I manufactured on my own that like I designed and everything, because now I'm a full, the full-fledged designer, I didn't have the shoe. Mm. It was a design that I had. It was at my manufacturer. I pre-sold it. Mm. I literally pre-sold it. Sold out of that shoe. I think it took me 90 days to sell out of the first stock of that shoe, which is not that bad when you are pre selling an item. Uh-huh. But it took me 90 days, my very first go round. I sold out of that shoe, um, got it. So people paid me before I even got all the inventory made. But that's what I mean. It's like people think I got to have all this money up front to start this business. But then you're right. sitting on all this inventory. Inventory. Right. You're just sitting right. on inventory and it doesn't make sense. And like now I am so proud to be at a space where I'm sitting in front of, you know, a warehouse of shoes right now. I just restocked my warehouse. This use like at one point when I first like didn't really know what I was doing, I was holding inventory because I, mm. I was like, oh, I'm going to use this money, buy all this inventory up when really my my pre-order method worked until it didn't until it was like now people want their stuff on demand because that's right this you you know how you know what you're doing now i know what to anticipate all that but yes you can sell anything before having it if you integrity matters though you better be guaranteeing it um but yeah, you gotta you gotta actually ship the shoe otherwise yeah you gotta fraud, do it right? <laughs> yeah. so like i had a design and everything people were able to see a sample that kind of thing but they knew you know hey I'm taking pre-orders. This shoe won't actually be launched or released, you know, till mid-October or whatever it was, you know, and people would pay for that because one, the one thing is I have a very niche market. There was not many other places. Uh There are only six Uh stores right now in the U.S. space. So I do know there's a store in the U.K., but six U.S. based stores total that go above a size 11 for women in heels, which is super major because that's my market it's we those of us that like to wear heels now i do sell flats as well but it's so niche and the fact that there are only six of us says something you know you said something earlier at at one of the events we were at earlier together today uh and you says look i I can't remember how you said it but it was like deserving to wear for women that want to wear heels How, how did you put that Oh, so I said, so I was telling people, so it was, I was talking about, you know, your why being true to your why. Mm -hmm. And what I mentioned was I had put out a post 
um, just to remind folks, because I feel I, I like for people to know, even though I sell size seven, we started this way. Here's our primary focus. So I put out a post on Instagram that said our primary focus, although we care about all women and their shoe needs, our primary focus is the heel wearing woman in non-favorite sizes, which is above size nine. And that makes us very unique because people Uh also assume if you have large feet, you're tall. So you don't Mm want to wear heels. I'm five, seven. So I'm not super short. I'm not a stallion either. I'm not crazy tall, but when I put on heels, I'm six feet and I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's From five, seven to six feet. That's some yeah, like, it's, you know, that's pretty, what I put the heels I wear, I'm six feet immediately right. and I'm totally comfortable with that. And there's a whole community of women like that. So that's the other thing is like, there was, there was a piece missing in the market. It was like, okay, well, yeah, we'll make shoes for women that wear above a size uh, nine, but they're going to be flats because they assume we're all tall mm-hmm. or we're all really heavy or we're athletes. So we don't, cause the people think athletes, uh, women that are athletes don't get dressed up either. It's, I mean, so many things I've heard that are so crazy. And I am just so glad to be a part of the industry that is breaking down um, that barrier. Oh, man. You definitely have found uh, a niche and I, I think it's wonderful that you're able to present first the solving of one's own problem, mm-hmm. right? And then the breaking down of myths that, oh, to start something like this or to start your business, your product-based business, you need all of this inventory and you don't, right? Maybe just a sample and a pre-sale. Mm-hmm. So, so listening in, you know, uh, masterminders out there, a sample and a pre-sale, right? Now, imagine if, you started with all this inventory and it didn't work. You're sitting on it. Now you're sitting on the inventory, right? And your money gone. And your money is gone. The money for marketing. Maybe it would have worked, but you use all your money to get the inventory. Whereas if you just put a couple of them out there, right? You've heard this another way, you know, the MVP, the minimum viable product, all that. That's a part of it, right? So that's breaking down the myth that you need the finances first. Maybe you just need the hungry market. And then you need to fill that niche. And then someone needs to recognize that, yes, we will buy it from you. That becomes some of the key things. So um, I, I, love, I love when you said um, that by solving your own problem, you start discovering all these other people that had it too. And you said, well, you know what? I might have a little something going on here, mm-hmm. a little bit of business. And now that you have progressed, this is what I'm interested in knowing a little bit about now. Because I would think that financing your, your stuff a little, is a little bit differently now. You've got inventory, mm-hmm. right? So now you've got some finances coming. You have built, I'm sure, like an email list. You built the, the brand. You've even changed the name, identified a little differently. Tell us a little bit of what, about why you, that's not a total pivot, but it's a name pivot. Why from True to Size Shoes to Faye Nicole? Um, so one, luxury. I recognize my target market were women similar to me in some in some capacities. We wanted luxury style. We didn't want plastic shoes. We didn't want, you know, shoes that you only going to get two or three wears out of. We wanted very um, 
luxury feel um, type shoes. Mm -hmm. So one, the name True to Size Shoes didn't speak to my audience. My primary customer is between the age of 38 and 55, actually. Um, and, and I'm talking working women um, with degrees who also have social lives. Many of them have children that are small, but they still go out. Like they are mm -hmm. not homebodies. Um, so recognizing that, I was like, noticing the trends of what was selling and what kind of was a little slower to sell. And I just started putting out surveys to my customers too, like, hey, you all are really liking this style. You want this color? You want, what about a block heel? You want shorter heels or these Asking heels? Questions. Like I started, I started at, like every little thing that started to sell, I started to started to just adjust that. So instead of carrying a whole bunch of everything, I started to narrow in. So if you look at my site, I sell the same what we call last. So I sell like the same outline almost of shoe. I change the color. I might change the upper because we know what we want. We are mm -hmm. not, we don't need an array of stuff. We need the right one that works. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and that really resonated with me. So I wanted something that was luxury and timeless because that was the piece that I recognized from my customers was that it was like, here, we don't want a whole bunch of everything. We want the right thing. That's mm -hmm. it. Like, it don't, if you, you could put the same shoe out in 20 colors, I'll buy it because it's the right one. Ooh, it's, it, it's the, it's the one that I need. It's the one that fits me perfectly, that kind of thing. Um, and True to Size Shoes just didn't do that. Also, um, True to Size Shoes was branded under like I was doing wholesale. I was doing kind of a whole bunch of stuff. I was figuring it out. <laughs> I switched over to Faye Nicole also because I became a designer. So I started to design my own shoes, everything from uh, design process in my head to sketch to tech pack. Now I work with somebody because I can't draw to save my life. And you don't have to know how to draw to be a designer. I want you all to know that there are programs for that. But um, I work with someone that helps me um, sketch out my stuff, put it into a tech bag and send it to my manufacturer. But that was the other pieces. I was like, if I'm, if someone like when I get to these award shows, cause that was my, that was me. I was like, I'm going to be a, a household name. I was like, I don't want to be care owner of true to size shoes. And so I started <laughs> to really think about what is luxury, what feels right. Um, and that's when Faye Nicole was born and Faye was my mother's middle name. And Nicole is one of my middle names yeah. and it just went. And, and um, it sounds mom, exclusive, right? It sounds so exclusive. Yes. It, it looks beautiful. Like my logo, it's very clean. Um, and it resonated well with my audience because I presented it to my audience. Those that were my true to size shoes lovers, um, I presented it to them hey we're gonna rebrand i actually have a little i sent um i sent them a rebranding card i thought i had them up here but i had some little rebranding cards and i started to put those in every order uh, and to I, let I, them know it's coming yeah it's come this is coming this is coming and they got so excited they were like oh i love it like you know and then also it wasn't a huge shocker for them because here's the other thing about when you're rebranding it costs money to rebrand because you have <laughs> old stuff with your old brand on it and it's still in good shape and good tact. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm not going to throw away all these boxes that say true to size shoes. So I just made a little card that said true to size shoes is rebranding the Faye Nicole. I put the new logo, put that in there. So even though they were opening a true to size shoes box that had now a Faye Nicole pair of shoes in it, the correlation, like they were able to say like, oh, I got you. you didn't just like spring it on them. 
Yeah, I didn't spring like, what, it on them, on? and I didn't lose out on the money I had spent on my packaging That's and right. all of that. Like I had to be strategic, but uh, yeah. So Faye Nicole, just like luxury, was what what my brand needed to become. And as soon as I changed it, Randy, it took off. Um, within six months, I went full time in my business. Couldn't quit my nine to five. Um, I'm in a store in California. I'm actually about to be bi-coastal in October. I'll be in a store in New York. Like the name change and also my style's elevated as well, but the name change, the brand, the cleaner branding, it did it. It did everything for my brand. <laughs> you said something earlier at the event we read today and you says perception, right? Mm-hmm. Perception. If you, sometimes everybody, you know, masterminders out there, think about this. Sometimes as you start, you may start and it may have that utility name, right? True to size shoe, suggest. Well, we have found the the shoe for your size, right? But then your business starts outgrowing your original thinking. Now, did you guys hear that? Your business outgrows your original thinking. And then sometimes it is just in a name change that gives a certain perception which was, as we talked, right, it was your original thinking. I want nice shoes. I don't want to go to Payless. Mm-hmm. Name change, perception change, ticket sales go up, right? It, to me, is an amazing journey. But that journey isn't always starting off mature, right? As we get into our next you know, topic, talk to us a little bit about the benefits of starting small. You've got this product-based business, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's online or wherever. How, talk to our entrepreneurs about starting small and what that looks like. So one, starting small just helps you build clarity. I wish I would have started small. I launched with 20 styles. That was way too many. It was way too many. Hindsight, you wouldn't have done it that way? What would oh, you have done absolutely not. No way. No way would I have done that. Um, but starting small, one, it looks like being confident. I think people think confidence and clarity comes in options. If we give them a whole bunch of stuff, they'll buy. Uh-huh. And actually, that overwhelms the consumer. We are an over-consuming country in particular, thinking about the U.S. I mean, everything is its too much. Like everything. I even think like one great example is our streaming services. I probably have choices. every last streaming service that has come out, even down to like, I got Paramount Plus. And sometimes you get it for one show or one movie, <laughs> yeah. you know. And they're like, hoping that you forget to cancel. Right, forget to cancel it. And here's the crazy part. I canceled cable because cable costs too much. Yeah. Now I spent $160 in streaming services because now it feels better because it's like, oh, it's a whole bunch of them. Right. It's not just yeah. one. I feel like I have more options. I feel like I'm doing more because it's not just cable. It's like all these, I have all the services, but it's like all these channels are actually on cable. But anyway, I mean, yeah. the all I did the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. I don't need cable. Cable's, oh no, don't go. I was like, look, I just need great, fast internet. And then I get a TV that can give me all of these channels. I'm spending 20 minutes looking for a show going across four to five different. I ain't watched nothing. Food cold. My food is cold because I just sat down to eat and watch a movie <laughs> and I haven't found. But anyway. <laughs> so start small. <laughs> right. So start small, y'all. Don't buy all the streaming services. But no, back to what I'm really saying. But, th- but that's the reality is that like, 
it feel it might feel good or it seems exciting, but think about it, especially us product-based businesses in the online world. Mm-hmm. Somebody spends 30 minutes scrolling your site, they're less likely to buy something now right. because they want to see all the options. But if you have 10 solid options, now they're like, oh, let me go read the description. The, the more you get them onto the product page, the more likely you are to get them to put it in their cart and check out. If they're just scrolling, it's not going to be a thing. Um, and that's the reason that starting small is super helpful because it tells the buyer, the customer, this is what they do. Uh-huh. They sell heels or they uh-huh. sell candles, soy candles. That's uh-huh. it. Like you don't sell soy candles and oils. Not to say you can't, they go together, but you don't sell 40 soy candles and 69 oil scents. Now I'm trying to figure out, well, if I buy this candle, what oil scents going to go well in my house? Like you're overwhelming people when you have too much or too many. And especially when you start out, you overwhelm yourself when you start out. The reason I say this, Randy brought up something earlier called the MVP, which is minimum viable product. And what an MVP is, is basically your way of saying, I'm going to take this one thing. And if I can sell this one thing, then I can sell something else. I can grow this or grow that. And a great example that I like to give is Uggs. Uggs, Crocs is the same. Uggs or Crocs, you can use either one. Uggs start. No, let's go with Crocs because Crocs are super popular. I have like 20 pairs now. I'm a whole Crockhead. Yeah, is that yeah. even a thing? A Crockhead? I, I like that. You better call them up and say, send me a check. I just send me a check because I, I got all the Crocs now and the little Croc gibbets. But anyway, Crocs started off with one shoe uh-huh. and they, they had a niche market too. They really were promoting to the medical field, those that were on their feet a lot, those in like the restaurant industry, those kind of things. Comfort and breathability. That was it. They were Best style shoes I have ever put on. Ever worn. Style was not great. on their list. Style was not on their list. Right. Crocs sold that one style forever. Then mm-hmm. what they did was they said, oh, this works. So then they started selling it in more colors. Right. Then they added fur to it. Then they said, oh, well, if this design works, let's make a sandal with the same level of comfort. They still didn't care about style. They just started caring about style about two years ago when gibbets started coming out. If you notice now, people are starting to design their gibbets. They've done a collab with uh, Balenciaga and they have the heel claw. Like, but Crocs had an MVP, one product that they could sell in multiple colors to an audience. And now they're a billion dollar brand. And as long as it was working, they worked it. They worked it. That's Literally. You know, and that's that's the benefit of starting small. Your customer knows what to do when they come to you. They know what they're getting. And then when you pr- when you bring something else out, now they're interested. Oftentimes right. when you bring out too much and it doesn't interest them from the from the get go, they don't come back or they're not interested mm-hmm. in your next release of something because you did too much with your first one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man, that decision fatigue, choice yes. fatigue is real. Right. If you ever had a headache and you go to the store and you go, um, I just want to solve the problem. I want to get this headache out of here. And you go and you got 80 choices, all these different prices. You don't know which one is best. You did no research because you just had a headache. Right. And you go, what's happening here? And then you just leave. Like, but I thought you went to don't worry about it. I'll go take a bath or something. <laughs> you know, this is something that I read in um, the 12 months to one million dollars book just recently. I just finished it. And it, he talked about it in there. This simple math four products. 25 sales a day, right? 
$30 average a sale for 365 days. But he says, start with your one product and get it to that 25 sales a day at an average cart of $30. Do that for 365 days, then go to the next. But if you got four, just four, four times 25 times 30 times 365 is a million dollars a year, a million dollars and 95. Four. But starting small, get your one, get your UG, not your UG, but get your, get your croc and then sell a lot of those. And then your customers, because at some point we were like, okay, now we're just tired of these ugly clog looking shoes here. I know they're called Crocs, but they look like clogs, right? We're tired <laughs> yeah. of them, and, but they're comfortable, but everybody's dogging us because, well, they look terrible. And then they says, oh, okay, that's fine. And then they started changing up, right? Mm-hmm. Let's use the same. I picked up one the other day that, it, I mean, it was way up there in price, but it was that same light feeling it had that same material. And I'm telling you, those were the, I used to play tennis in those shoes. I mean, the regular ones play tennis in them because they were so light. And I got on strong. Crocs right now. I literally have on, one of my pairs of Crocs are house shoes. Like they've become my house shoes. Like it's, I, I don't know what Crocs did or mentally what they're doing to us. Cause maybe they aren't even that comfortable and it's in my head, but I'll take it. You're, cause you're my Croc head now. Yeah, I'm a crockhead. I'm literally a crockhead now. So listen, this is what we want you guys to see here is that, you know, you don't need to buy into the myth that's out there, right? And I, every time I hear it, I cringe. It takes money to make money. Well, does it really? We just demonstrated here, even if you have a product business. Now I'm pretty much in the digital products, right? I've got like you know, 20 or 30 different digital products and because I can create them, but I mean, it's still a product. And then you can go out there and test it. You can do all of these types of things. So there's really no excuse what kind of business you're starting. This idea that you need a bunch of dough, that you need all this cash backing you, is a myth. It's just a myth. Get the idea. Look at your social capital. Now, as we think about what that social capital continues to look like, it is in the people you're meeting right? The places you're going to, even the network. I used to uh, just hate networking events because it was the posturing and all that. Now, oh my gosh, I eat them up, right? Because I want to find out who I can help, Mm -hmm. who I can connect because now I know a few people. And if you can continually be that person, now you become the currency that someone says, I connected with Claire, I connected with Randy, And now they're actually acting as currency for me because I didn't have to go out there and find or acquire that customer. They brought them to me, Mm -hmm. right? And if you can do enough of that, right? If you can make people, you heard that term, make people millionaires, you will become one. Why? Because people are going, that's who you want to talk to when you want this done, right? And then in that margin is opportunity and money, right? Can I connect you to a product, right? I do affiliate marketing. I do a digital marketing all that stuff, right? So I may say, you know what? I'm using this tool that'll help you skip five steps, therefore saving you time, saving you hassle. Here it is, click on it, and I get paid for that, right? That becomes the wonderful thing. I read a book, you know, 12 months to $1 million. And let me tell you what happened on page nine that may change everything for you and give you that formula. And you may go, wait a minute. You mean that's the math of making money? Yes. And if we now just concentrate on getting your four products 
And as you put it earlier, Claire, you said a care care. So you said, hey, wait a minute. Your one customer may buy multiple things. So now if you think about the math of that, you go, yeah, if I can get them excited with one product, maybe by the time I roll out my third product, they're saying still buying. Mm -hmm. Then you spin up a new business, right? You're a serial entrepreneur. You spin up a new business and they go, I'm buying that too. Yeah. Why? Because I know her. I like her. I trust her. And the experience with her is good. It gets me to a transformation. That's what you're needing, everyone. So I'm hoping that that's what you pulled from what you just heard today. Now, so don't get us wrong. Having some capital, financial capital is not a bad to start, mm -hmm. but don't go and not start. I, I don't like when entrepreneurs say, I can't start this business because I need money. And I'm like, have you had one customer conversation? If you have not talked to somebody before you put money behind your business, you going backwards. I promise. Yeah. I was talking with someone earlier today and the business that they're in, the, it, it's, it's a capital intensive business. If you approach it from the, you know, I'll need to buy this building. And I, I says, well, what could you do that starts off small, that is of value to people long before you get your first dollars? And I, and I just, you know, just kind of listen to her. And I says, are you taking classes? Yeah, I'm taking a lot. I says, well, what are you learning? She said, oh, I'm learning this, this, and this. I says, well, what if you started a small blog that costs nothing and started talking about what you're learning? Take people on a journey. Have them watch you as you go. See, what you're doing then is creating a digital uh, footprint. And then they go, wow, man, she's right here, but she started here. They watch you grow. They've grown with you. And then now when you come out with your first product, it could have been because you have so pieces of information along the way. Mm -hmm. Now you get the capital to buy the next building, whatever it is you want. But you started using what you're learning now. You place it somewhere. It becomes digital real estate for you. And this is what I help people do all the time is create digital real estate. Mm -hmm. Then from that digital real estate, it goes out there and starts earning for you. Yeah. Right. And then as you watch it earn for you, the next thing you know, you're saying, wait a minute, I did pretty good with this. Then you create the courses, what you're doing, create the courses. Let me show you how to do this. Right. Let me show you how to start. Let's get this going. Come on in. I'm going to show you how to do it. You got a product business. Great. Got shoes, clothes, whatever. Uh -huh. I'll say, let's do it. Right. And then people come on. I want to do this because they've seen you grow. They came along with you. So that's what I asked her. Can you start off with something like that? She's like, well, yeah. I says, next time we talk, have started that. Okay. A place to put that knowledge. And people jump into your business at that level. If they saw somebody already there, they're going to go, there's no way I, I'm going to get there. They're, they're a grant card donor. There's no way I'll get to you know, billions of dollars. But they see you starting and they just watch. Right? And then they see your successes. And then they follow you. Mm -hmm. Now you've got a following that you turn into other kind of capital. Y'all just heard it. Me bring it all the way back around. Social capital is your financial capital, mm -hmm. right? Care, tell us, leave with our entrepreneurs one or two things that they should do tomorrow if they're starting their business. One or two or three things. Um, one, I think that you should wake up 
and do whatever centers you. That's the first thing. Don't touch your business without being okay. Whatever that looks like for you. Um, so some people that might be meditation, prayer, having a cup of coffee, um, focus on you before you jump into your business um, because you need to be clear. You need to be working through um, stuff with a clear head um, and also knowing that you are capable, that you you have what it takes. And oftentimes we get up in a scramble or in a rush and that's how our day ends up. So I, I highly recommend whatever that looks like for you. Take care of you in the morning. Um, that's my first tip. And then the second thing, write it down. I'm a firm believer, write the vision and make it plain. But I don't mean make a whole bunch of lists. I mean, write that thing down that you need to execute that thing. Like y'all see written board or that thing that's going to get, that's going to push you through or that thing that's going to set your business apart, whatever it is constantly you need to yeah I have papers kind of everywhere I'm not gonna show y'all all my stuff I have a whiteboard over there but write the vision yeah. because you need to be re- there are going to be days where you need to be reminded um of it and um talk to a customer that's my my other thing is a if you've already started reach out to your current customers if you have not make it an effort every day to figure out how to get in contact with a potential customer Oh man, that is so big. I, I wrote down something that I was going to share with our class today. And it says, if the activity that you're about to do has nothing to do with acquiring the customer, if it doesn't get you closer to a customer, stop doing it, right? Give it to somebody else, but stop doing these activities that are low value activities. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, like, you know, like you said, in your centering process, if you're saying and you're meditating and you're praying or you're sipping your coffee, you says, what is the one thing I can do that would get me closer to the conversation with the, the, um, the customer so I can find out what they want? What is the one thing I can do? Do that thing and the money will come. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, let, let's give a round of applause. Okay, you know, she probably can't hear your applause, but let's give a round of applause to Kara coming on and talking with us about her business and talking with us about what we can do in our business. We've masterminded today and I hope it has been of service to you. And I hope it's an actionable item that you can literally say that right there that she said, maybe something Randy threw in there can transform what I'm doing. And that becomes the difference in your business. You know, let us know, put, you know, information in the comments. If you don't like some things we says, hey, I want to hear those too. If you disagree, thumbs up, thumbs down, right? Like the page, of course, if you want to do that, but get this information, right? And start using it, start using it in your business, right? The two business guys were masterminding and we had the lovely lady in, and we certainly appreciate you. Thank you very much. Yeah.